I'd like to turn with you tonight to a well-known portion, I believe, a trust, in the book of Revelation. Shall we first turn to the first few opening verses of the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then continuing on in chapters 2 and 3. It's the last subject that is before us tonight, and I only can expect to touch on some precious points in an outline form. But at times it's good for us to have some outline thoughts on Scripture on what really is the characteristic point in certain portions of the Word of God. And as we get hold of that, we shall be able to enjoy, perhaps in a greater and deeper measure, the detail that the Spirit of God gives unto us in those different portions. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy work, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation, and poverty. But thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, for else I will come to thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. To him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things said the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, 
and allows to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into her bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, unto you the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already. Hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a, with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things have he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast, and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name, or the book of life, out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear for the spirits of the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath a key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy, before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make it poor in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works. But thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with good, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyes thou, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The book of Revelation, as we all certainly realize, has a very peculiar and special character, which makes it different from the other parts of the New Testament. We know that in the Gospels we have a wondrous presentation of the blessed person of the Lord Jesus, his walk through this world down here, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension. In the Epistles we have the wonderful counsels of God unfolded in us, especially in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, as the eternal uh, uh, counsels of God, the calling of the church, its destiny, its heavenly character, precious things connected with that. But here now we have a book that is prophetic in its character. And we find that the book of Revelation, characteristically speaking, is the book of judgments. Now you and I might well raise the question, why is there such a very special blessing pronounced upon those that would read or hear the words of the prophecy of this book, which is the book of judgments? Wouldn't we be much more edified, we might think, by studying those things that have to do with the church's heavenly portion, just to maybe uh, stop at that and be uh, confined to those wonderful, exalted, elevated truths that are brought before us in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, for instance. Why do we have to be occupied with judgment? But may I suggest this thought to you, beloved, that in the book of Revelation, we get the divine estimation communicated unto us as to all these things that we are surrounded with in our life down here in this world. We have God's judgment, his appraisal of things in this world. And only that, but the book of Revelation would bring before us the end of these things, the issue of those paths that we see people of this world being engaged in. And so then, the book of Revelation would give unto us, with other words, God's thoughts about this world, this world as a moral system, about human society, about all that is going on about us. And especially, too, in the early chapters, God's thoughts and God's appraisal, we might say, especially the appraisal of the Lord Jesus Christ, our precious Savior, as to that which characterizes that testimony down here in this world that carries his name, that professes to be connected with him here on earth. And I believe that's an important thing to realize that the book of Revelation deals mainly or characteristically with things that are down here on earth. Except perhaps when we come to the last chapters, we have the church in its heavenly state, we have heaven in Jerusalem, we have the eternal state. But up to that point, we find that the book of Revelation deals with things upon this earth. Now chapters 2 and 3 have a very peculiar and precious character because they deal in a very special way with the church as it is found in this present parenthetical uh, era in the day of grace here now, the church period, in that period that commenced with a wonderful and glorious event of Pentecost and that will terminate with a church being taken from this scene. But I might say it goes a little bit further on even because it also includes what is going to happen to their Christian testimony even after the true believers are gone. This is going to be the whole Christian era, so to say, or at least the era where we find the profession of Christianity. And so then in chapters 2 and 3, there's a divine picture presented unto us. And it's just admirable to see how the Spirit of God has selected seven different local churches or assemblies in just one limited area in the province of Asia, Asia, in present Asia Minor, but it's only a small part of Asia Minor, as we know. 
And within that limited region there were seven assemblies. And the Spirit of God had chosen those seven assemblies, uh, we might say the Lord Jesus had chosen those seven assemblies to communicate some very precious and instructive principles with regard to what he finds in the church down here on earth and in connection with its testimony. So first of all, of course, it's easy to realize that those seven letters were actually directed to then existing assemblies. So they had a message for those assemblies in their own day and age that was very relevant to conditions that existed at that moment in those seven buried assemblies in Asia Minor. But at the same time, as all of scripture, scripture is never limited to, its, to the moment when the communications were addressed to believers or to whoever, wherever they were addressed, but scripture has a transcending meaning and so we find that God has been pleased in those seven churches where seven brings before us symbolically completeness, it covers, so to say, the whole church, its state, its condition. In those seven churches, God has brought before us a picture of the entire history of the church. And in a certain sense, we may say that in each of these seven messages, there's something for you and for me in our day. So in other words, in our day, as we look around, we find some elements that we find represented in each of those seven letters. But in a more strict way, we find that as we have come now to the end of the ages, as we have come close to the termination of the church era, the history of the professing church on earth, we find looking backwards that there is a marvelous sequence found in those seven letters and that they would bring before us in a certain sense successive states that prevailed or were dominant or that commenced at certain points in the history of the church. Now, some of those states are not characteristic anymore of Christendom today. They contain moral principles that we can profit by and be edified by and admonished by, but uh, there are some that do not any longer characteristically present to us the condition of any of the segments of Christianity, but we find that there's a division here that can be recognized by certain specific marks or elements, there's a division between the first three letters and the letter four. And one interesting clue to it is that in the first three letters, the, uh, uh, we might just look at the, one of those, we might uh, uh, look at verse seven of chapter two, the, uh, uh, the statement, he that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches, comes before the overcomer is mentioned. Whereas in the last fall, the condition is in reverse, and there's a reason for it. With other words, it is only the overcomers that are really before uh, the Lord here as he gives those messages to them in a specific way, and the whole is no longer owned in the same way as we find it in the first three cases. So there is a progression in those letters. And we also find that there is a specific reference to the coming of the Lord in the last four. So we can say that the last four letters are specially, characteristically representative of what we see around us in Christendom today, in Christendom of which you and I are part. But I believe we cannot pass over at least the first message here of the churches without specific reference to it because as often in scripture the first message, here the first of seven messages, gives unto us some principles that will be valid as we trace the whole path of the church through history. We see that there are some basic fundamental principles opened up unto us right in the first of these communications, in the first letter. What do we find there? We find there that the church that began in a very glorious way has taken a downward course. That's humbling to know. And I think in Christendom, sad to say, there are many that don't see it in our day and that seem to have a notion that Christendom has progressed ever since the early days and it has developed, it has become a wonderful expanded system that has started with a primitive 
little beginning and that has become a wondrous and great system today. And so that seems to be the thought of evolution in a certain way in, in the spiritual sense. But you know, scripture, when you look at it closely, you will see that scripture teaches us the entire opposite. It is the entire opposite when it comes to the human race. We see there's no evolution in the human race. There's a downward course from Adam onward, ever downward. And so it is in the church. And so it is, we might say, with everything that has been committed to the responsibility of men down here. We see it beginning in a beautiful way as God sets it up, but then we see a decline, we see a downward course. But then it's wonderful that as there's that downward course evidence, this is where the prophetic testimony comes in. Because God has a remedy. He has something provided for the faithful even in days of ruin, in days of declension. And there's a way back that is shown unto us. There's a way shown at least in the last four letters to the individual overcomer. To be able to overcome in the midst of a general decline that we are all surrounded with and that in a certain sense we are part of. And so here then in Ephesus we see that the Lord points his finger on the root cause of all this decline and it's simply expressed with these words that thou hast left thy first love. Beloved, this is humbling to us. It should be humbling to us. To examine our own hearts and to say to us, to ask ourselves the question, am I going on in that first love, in that love that first grew in or was produced in my heart, in response to that oneness love of the Lord Jesus, I recognized that oneness love that he had for me and as my heart responded to it, as I first saw him in all his beauty and the preciousness of the Lord Jesus was brought before my soul, has that remained ever fresh to my heart? Is it the same for me today? Am I going on in the freshness of that first love? Or has something come in that has marred the simplicity, the, the preciousness of that affection for the Lord that is so precious to his heart. And so here we see that although there are many things that the Lord graciously commends there in Ephesus, there is that one great rebuke there, nevertheless I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. As we come to the next letter there, to the address to the assembly in Smyrna, we find a very characteristic feature in Smyrna. We find that as the Lord had to detect the decline in the hearts of his own in those early days of the church, we might say, as the forsaking of the first love was becoming manifest, the Lord in his wonderful love and faithfulness chose to use suffering to seek to draw his own back to himself. And you know, it's humbling for us to know that sometimes if the Lord in his wonderful love in which he deals with each one of us, if he fails to produce, or if his love fails to produce that in our hearts, what it should produce, the Lord may choose at times to bring in some little sorrow or suffering into your heart and your life and mine. And you know, it's lovely, however, to recognize that if he does that, it is because he loves us. And it's so beautifully expressed in that last letter to the seven churches there, Laodicea, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And so in Hebrews we are reminded, my son, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord. So that's just a brief thought with regard to chastening. And I believe in our days we have seen sometimes our Christians that have been going on faithfully under persecution in the Soviet Union for many years. In other parts of the world, Muslim, Hindu, Islam, some have really suffered for the Lord. What a preciousness has been produced in their faith. In many of those cases, when we have to say that the brightness of their faith has put us to shame oftentimes, to see that zeal and that brightness that is there even under trial and persecution. The Lord knows the limits of it all. Here it was ten, ten days. Well, there were ten great persecutions of Christians, I believe, in the early era. But God does not continue on with his chastising hand indefinitely. There was a limit to it. But we see that there was something produced there in those in Smyrna because there is no rebuke, really. 
given against those in Smyrna, there is just the encouragement given, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer, and then uh, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And I believe the expression faithful unto death would clearly imply that those dear ones were to be willing to face the giving up of their lives in their testimony for the Lord Jesus, if it be necessary. And this could be done because they could look forward to that day where the Lord would answer that willingness to suffer and even to pay for their faithfulness to him by laying down their lives, he would answer that with a crown of life. A crown of life. Now as we go on to Pergamos, we see that as persecution had eased up, as sufferings had ceased in the history of the church, there were new dangers that were coming in there. You know, the name of Balaam is mentioned here. And I believe most of us are very familiar with the history of Balaam, are we not? What did Balaam first do? Balaam tried, as he was invited to do so by the king of Moab and by Balak, uh, he tried to curse the people of God. Uh, but he did not succeed in it. God overruled it that he could not pronounce that curse that he was minded to pronounce upon the people of Israel, the people of God. So what recourse did Bala, Balaam take afterwards? He taught the Moabites how to stumble the Israelites and how to stumble them by bringing them in union with the pagan Moabites, bringing about the union and associating between them so that they would uh, ease up, so to say, in their separation from the nations around them, they would willingly associate with the Moabites and form a, un a union with them uh, in a certain sense. And so this was the stumbling block then. So we see that here the same thing has happened in the church. In the days of Pergamos, we see that there was a danger coming in that the church, after persecutions had suffered, began to form an alliance with the world. And as we know, uh, Christianity uh, in the days of Constantine becomes a state religion. And Christians, many of them, were willing to be linked up with the world in a union together. And so we see that this is something that was starting to bring in ruin into the church. Now, as we come to Thyatira, we see the ruin goes farther. There was already the beginning there of eating things, sacrificed unto idols and committing fornication. But there was not yet uh, that condition there that we find in Thyatira where there's a woman, Jezebel, which sets herself up above the professing testimony and we find that she has children. With other words, there are those that now are morally her children that have followed her evil doctrines, have imbibed them deeply, and that receive, so to say, their moral being or the character of their moral being from the woman, Jezebel. And so here we find that sad state of things where what began to become a stumbling block to the children of God in the days of Pergamos has now become the rule of things. And here uh, the Lord had to say to them in verse 20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. There was a system coming up which now claimed the position of being authorized, being enabled to teach people now what they should do, to command them certain things. Were those things in accordance with the mind of God? No. Which calleth herself a prophetess, without its having divine authority, divine communications to give on, or giving to her communications a divine character, a divine appearance? And what was she doing, really teaching, seducing his servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols? So there was an alliance, a firm alliance formed with the world in those days by the church, and there was the introduction of idolatrous principles into Christendom, so hateful to the Lord. And you know, it's sad to see that after that third letter, we do not see the assemblies that are mentioned addressed anymore in their entirety. With other words, the word that is given there, inviting the one that has an ear to hear, to listen to what the Spirit says of the churches, is only given after the overcomers are mentioned. So, from now on it seems that as the state of the church has become so corrupt as it was in Thyatira, 
that God now has assigned a special way on a little remnant. In fact, we find a little remnant in Thyatira mentioned already, those that didn't hold that doctrine. But uh, there's a solemn judgment pronounced upon those that would go on in Jezebel's ways. I gave a space to repent of her fornication, long years allowed to that system of things to continue with its activities, but it says she repented not, and she never will repent. And so then, there's a, there's a threat given here, there's judgment pronounced here upon those that, that, that stand in relationship to her, they would be cast into great relation except they repent of their deeds. And yet the way is always open for the individual to repent from that evil state of things that characterizes the professing testimony and to have individual faithfulness towards the Lord. And it says, I will kill her children with death. Those that morally belong to her as being her family, that derive, so to say, their spiritual life, whatever, if, if they call it that, from Jezebel, really. Jezebel was, so to, so to say, the religious and moral source from which they derive their being. And it says, I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts and I'll give unto everyone according to your work. But how lovely, you know, to those that are viewed as overcomers, even in Thyatira, they have a beautiful promise given unto them. First of all, ruling with the Lord, as he shall rule uh, with a rod of iron, breaking uh, the nations, uh, the rebellious nations, to pieces as a potter, uh, so they will have the privilege to rule with him. Uh, Jezebel sought to rule over man, morally, religiously, and so forth. And those individuals, they did not allow themselves to be drawn into that pattern. So they were perhaps disowned and persecuted even in those days. But here in a coming day, they are going to be one, the ones that are going to be ruled with Christ. And it says, I'll give him the morning star, the enjoyment of the person of the Lord Jesus in their hearts as that bright and morning star. Now as we come into the third chapter, we first have Sardis. And Sardis is a very remarkable state. We don't find the idolatry there that is mentioned in Thyatira. It's gone. So Sardis is clear of those things. And I believe it's the state uh, that has come out of the original wonderful work of Reformation. It isn't Reformation itself, really, that Sardis represents, but it's the state that was left after the first fire of, of Reformation, the first flames that burned out, so to say, what was left as a system, so to say, as a doctrinal system. And so as far as the problem is not that they had a woman, Jezebel, there that was teaching and, and uh, inducing, so to say, the servants of God to go on those idolatrous practices and alliance with the world and so forth. But the trouble, the whole trouble is there. The doctrine is right, but there is no longer the practice of it. And beloved, that's something that we have to be so humble about. I believe in a certain sense we can apply these words that are spoken to Sardis to our own days, although perhaps we are not characteristically fitting in with that Sardis pattern here. But I think we might well ask ourselves the question, is that not the danger in our day? That there is a lot of knowledge, there is a lot of precious truth. The Lord makes reference here how they had received and heard and that was good what they had received and heard. Nothing wrong with that. It was precious truth that had been committed unto them. But had they gone on in the reality of it? The Lord had to say that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. So in other words, the profession was beautiful. They professed the name of Christ. They had the precious word of God recovered unto them again. Precious truths regarding justification by faith many other wonderful truths of the word of God that they knew, that had been taught to them, that they were familiar with, but yet spiritually there was a state of deadness. A state of deadness there. And the Lord had to say, I have not found thy works perfect before God. So the problem was with a walk. It wasn't with a, with a lack of doctrine, with proper doctrine, but it was the question were they walking in what they knew, what they had originally received, what they had been uh, brought up with. And so then, here too, however, 
the Lord has a little remedy in view. In the midst of that cold condition of things that is so lifeless that the Lord had to uh, refer to it as a dead condition of things, that thou art dead. In the midst of it all, there were some to whom he could graciously address these admonitions. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. Beloved, that's the word for you and me too, isn't it? We see a lot of weakness around us. We see much precious knowledge of the word of God, but so great weakness in my life, in the lives of, lives of perhaps others of us, weakness as to putting that into practice, as to walking in those precious truths. But what is the word here in that state of things? Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. We are to encourage one another to go on with the truth, to practice those truths that we know and that are so precious to us theoretically. And then, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast. That's the principle brought out here too. Don't let it go. What you have, continue to hold on to it. Don't give it up. And repent. Repentance with regard to the cold state of things, with regard to the indifference that is there towards those precious things. And then the Lord has to tell them that if they are not going to watch, they'll be treated like the world. With others, those that only have a profession, that may have the precious truths of Protestantism, as we may refer to it, and yet no life, no God, they will be treated like the world when the Lord comes. What a solemn thought. In spite of all that precious truth that they have known, but it says out the few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments then they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. So here now the promise of future glory has a direct connection with the walk that they are uh, that characterize them down here. They had been walking in a way that was honoring to him. They had been uh, they have not defiled their garments. Their walk was, so to say, in accordance with the thoughts of God, with his precious word. Their walk was clean. Their walk was pure and pleasing unto God. And the reward is so beautiful. They shall walk with me in white. What a thought. For they are worthy. And so they were to be clothed in white raiment. This was going to be the answer. God's answer to their act, having gone on here in such a way as to preserve their walk in accordance with the precious principles of God's word and to go on walking in those blessed ways. And then it mentions that he will not blot off his name out of the book of life. Now here, the book of life is given unto us in a very broad sense, as it is easy to see. It's not written in the book of life of the Lamb from before the foundation of the world, but it's here like a register that would indicate that somebody has made a profession. But a profession which may or may not be true. And that entry, so to say, that has been made in the book, so to say, as somebody says, well, I'm a Christian, I, I am being baptized now, and maybe some say I've been confirmed, or whatnot even, and so forth. It's just as if they had their name put into that book, now I'm a Christian. But that book is going to be reviewed someday. And those that were not real, they will have no right to be a Christian, so to say. I believe that's the thought here, so to say that it's not a question on eternal security, but it's a, uh, it brings before us the fact that profession is going to be tested in a coming day as to its reality. And if not real, it's not going to stand. And so then, here I have a promise for those that are real, as I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, is written there within. Double link, permanent entry, and no one can erase that name from that book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, as we come further here to that precious letter to Philadelphia, there is so much to say to us. We find a very feeble state of things. You know, there are some in our day, especially perhaps those that are going on with the so-called charismatic movement, that are dreaming of going back to Pentecostal things, the Pentecostal state of things. They say, we're going to have signs, we're going to have power, we're going to have a mighty working of the Spirit of God that will characterize us, you know, and things have to be big again, great, impressive. And so, they just, somehow, they try to get back, or to work their way back to a state of things where everything will be forceful and powerful and impressive and so forth, and where do some of them land? As miserable failures. 
because these efforts proceed from the flesh just to try to set up something on the earth where there's a ruin present in the church we cannot uh, attempt uh, or presume to be able to change the church back to the state that prevailed in the original days but there's a path left open for individuals to go on though in great feebleness outwardly perhaps unknown by the world not recognized even by the mass of Christendom to go on in individual personal faithfulness and devotion to the Lord Jesus and I believe that's the little remnant that is specially presented unto us in Philadelphia it's lovely that in each of those seven letters the Lord would present himself in a special character that has something to do with a special state and the needs of that individual assembly so here now it's very significant to see how the Lord introduces himself to those in Philadelphia to that one who is the only and the true and we cannot really be viewed as being in the Philadelphian state now I believe it's good to say to ourselves anyway that it would be very wrong for us to for any of us to to raise the claim that we are the Philadelphian testimony and I always uh, remember a statement that somebody made that's very striking maybe it's a little bit too drastic but there is some truth to it somebody put it that way the moment I say or we say we are Philadelphia we have arrived in Laodicea because Laodicea says I'm rich I have everything there's nothing wrong with me I'm in a good state I'm in, a, in an exemplary state and so it's good to realize that we can just trace the wonderful features of Philadelphia for our souls but it would be amiss if we would seek to uh, see ourselves in that way as truly representing the Philadelphian state in every aspect but beloved it's something that you and I can aspire after it's a precious privilege that has been left unto us in these closing days of the church to seek to display in a world and in the midst of Christendom that has declined so far that has uh, gone such a long way down from this original lofty uh, beginning uh, to seek in some measure to represent that one who is the holy and the true in a scene like this and to be in a measure a faithful testimony for him and he is the one that has the key of David he has all those rights uh, as the descendant there in the royal line the one that will be the fulfillment of all those promises given unto David as to the future kingdom he's the one that opened it and no man shut it well that's grace too you know because if we have an open door set before us it's not because of anything that we have done or because of our worthiness but it's wondrous grace that is presented before you and me a path that can be to the delight of the Lord's heart if we go on in it in faithfulness now there are a few little elements given here in the letter to Philadelphia that we can uh, especially look at uh, first of all next to the Lord mentioning uh, that he had set an open door before him which no man can shut he says for thou hast a little strength and has kept my word and has not denied my name so we find a very clear indication here that we do not have a state of things that is characterized by great power and by great influential by an influential forceful testimony in this world it's a feeble little remnant but the other things but yet also it doesn't say thou hast no strength the Lord has given you and me just a little measure of strength and the great question is are we going on in that strength are we seeking to use what the Lord has given unto us to go on for him in a scene of decline a scene of weakness a scene of ruin thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word I like to stop and concentrate on these few words a little bit here has kept my word the Lord I believe that the Philadelphian testimony is specially characterized by her deep esteem for the value of the divine communications that we have received the inspired word of God and I believe that in the beginning of the 19th century where 
some of those precious features of Philadelphia came into view in a very special way in a low remnant one of the things that characterized those especially in those early days that recovered testimony was the way in which they valued every little detail of the word of God and they valued the word of God in all its precision in the minute details that it gives them to us and they would not surrender it as a paraphrase or anything else that would substitute the thoughts of God with just something that is mingled with men's thoughts they wanted to have God's thoughts in as pure a form as it was available to them and we find that there were men that sought to go back faithfully to the original text of scripture we know it's the Hebrew in the Old Testament with Aramaic and Chaldean some old portions of the Greek in the New Testament and they sought to give the people of their day as faithful a rendering of those precious communications of God as it was possible in their own language and so I believe that that's one of the things that characterizes here uh, Philadelphia especially they valued every little part of the word of God it was all precious to them because they viewed it as the expression of God's own thoughts and counsels the expression of God's mind to us which is so needful for any one of us to be able to go on intelligently in the ways of God in such a way that would be truly pleasing unto him so the value of the word is very has a very prominent place here in this verse doesn't it has kept my word and also the, the way in which those truths were defended now we know that in Christendom in our day there are many instances we see many instances around us where people that even have a generally evangelical testimony they are starting to give up certain truths of scripture like just as a little example I don't want to go into much detail but we see for instance many coming up that come up with a doctrine that the Lord Jesus could have sinned he just did not sin what an awful thing they come in with a, come in with a subtle assertion like that that according to them is scriptural as they claim and so forth but then really is a departure of the divine teachings of the word of God and so here now keeping his word involves a faithful stand for every doctrine that has to do with the blessed person of the Lord Jesus Christ with his work and also that has to do with the wonderful thoughts and counsels of God with regard to the church and all this connected with it they were not willing to give up any part of those precious truths and so how wonderful for us to realize the privilege that's given unto us in these closing days of the church to continue on maintaining those truths in faithfulness that have been committed to us that have been given unto us as a precious uh, inheritance so to say to treasure in our souls and not to give up any of that precious truth not to compromise the truth and that's not denied my name here we have the preciousness and the importance of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ how wonderful we know there's no other name given unto heaven by which we must be saved he's the only one for salvation but he's also the only true gathering center for his own and what a precious privilege to own him as that to own him as the one to whom we alone can be gathered gathered unto the precious and alone worthy name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I believe not having denied his name would perhaps involve more even it would involve all this connected with what really is expressed in the name of Christ in the name of the Lord Jesus the precious truths that are linked with himself with his blessed person with that name what the name stands for so to say because he is the holy and he is the true so if we are truly going on holding fast the preciousness of his name and not denying his name we must necessarily go on in the recognition of that which is holy and is true which is true because that is what characterizes his name and of course we know too that it is it involves recognition of the lordship of Christ so we find then those that would take a religious uh, 
profession, so to say, that would raise a claim as to their religious position, as it says here, which say they are Jews and are not. There's a coming day where they will have to come to recognize that that feeble remnant, those feeble few that sought to go on honoring the Lord in those last days, in the days of weakness and decline, that they were really the ones in whom the love of the Lord was resting in a special way. We might say perhaps his love of complacency because he loves all his children. He loves those too who are going apart and wondering. He says then, lead to see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So he loves those that had to be chastened also. But I believe he has hit it's more that love that, so to say, is the love of complacency that he can find his delight in those that go on in such a way. And this is going to be recognized in that coming day to know that I have loved thee. And then we have keeping the word of his patience. Well, what is the patience of the Lord involved? Well, the Lord is willing to wait for the day where he will be able to take up the kingdom where the day of his glory will have arrived. Are we willing to take a place of just place of identification with a rejected Christ down here knowing that the day of glory is future? Or do we want to reign right now? The Corinthians were uh, rebuked for that. They were living as kings. They were living as if they were kings right now. And I believe you and I sometimes might have that tendency we want to just be going on as if we were really high up in this life in this world now, you know, reigning as kings. But it's good to realize that we are associated with a Christ that is rejected by the world. And holding the word of his patience means to be patient, to go on with him now as rejected ones in view of that soon coming day where we shall reign with him and share his glory. And so he is waiting still for the Father to give the word for him to come and to, to fetch his bride and then to come and to set up his kingdom in glory. And so then, those that have kept the word of his patience, he said unto them, I also will keep from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. There is a testing coming for the, the inhabitants of the world, for the earth dwellers, those that do not have a heavenly character, a heavenly portion, they are going to come into the great tribulation. And of course we know that no true believer will be there. Even those that have gone on the worldly ways will not be left here in that time of tribulation. But it seems to me that the Lord gives that precious promise especially to those who are able to enjoy it in their hearts because they knew that it would be the reward, the due reward for having been willing to go on with a rejected Christ owning him in the day of his rejection as their savior and being willing to take that place as outcasts from the world as those that the world rejects in view of that wonderful fact that they are not going to be here when that day of tribulation comes. Precious encouragement. And then, him that overcometh will I make a pillar and temple of my God. The pillar speaks of strength, doesn't it? Like in a building, like the temple, things are resting on pillars. The pillar supports it. The pillar is strong. It can support the roof and the upper parts and so forth because of its strength. And so here, the, I, I believe the pillar would bring before us strength. Now, weakness. We have to lose strength in the coming day, a pillar. Speaking of strength, being an integral part, so to say, of that which will appear there in glory and being seen in glory with him. And so they'll have a special nearness to the Lord I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God which is New Jerusalem which come about down out of heaven from my God and I will write upon him my new name. Precious, wonderful promises given unto Philadelphia. Now, we cannot pass over the last letter to Laodicea without looking at a few points briefly at least. We are not extending uh, the time uh, too much but perhaps we can just briefly look at a few of these things Laodicea as the last state. And beloved, I believe that it's something that is characteristic in our day. And I believe we have to say to our shame that whereas we certainly all would aspire to display the Philadelphian character in the world, how much, beloved, we are being affected by the state that is characteristic in our day, and that's the state of Laodicea. So it's given unto us as a warning because we know that the end of the Laodicean state, and that refers to those that do not belong to the true remnant, with other words, that are not the true believers, see it will be dis dispute out in its mouth. And so we see that that's the end of that 
history of the professing testimony on the earth. It began with a great deal of glory and empowered on the day of Pentecost. It ends in a very sad and ruinous and deplorable state of which the Lord had to say, I, uh, I would, thou wert cold or hot, but he could find neither in that last day. So he had to say something because I am lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I was fully out of my mouth. What does lukewarm mean? I believe it brings before us the spirit of indifference. Indifference. And we find so much of it around it today. Many say, well, love towards our fellow believers, that's the great thing. Doctrines don't mean much. Doctrines have not importance. As long as we love one another, that's the important thing. We can safely overlook doctrinal differences because after all, what do they mean in final analysis? Love is a great thing. That's what counts. And so we can just discount doctrines easily because they are really unconsequential. So that's the attitude of many, isn't it? What is it really? It's indifference to the claims of God, indifference to the truth of God. And beloved, if we allow ourselves to be swayed anyway into that spirit of compromising and say, well, that thing isn't as bad after all as it is made to be by some, you know, and as some say it is, I could live with that. And if we get in that spirit of compromising with evil as it comes into the church, we are right there in the Laodicean state. Neither cold nor hot. And so then, we find that what Laodicea is characterized by is uh, a sense of their own excellency, their own riches, their own accomplishments. We find them saying, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Need of nothing. Oh, what a contrast to Philadelphia, where we find a spirit of dependence upon the Lord. His name, his precious word, was all unto them. In themselves they only saw great weakness. There was the little strength. But they could lean on that one who was their one and all. They could lean on the Lord, look to him, derive the grace needed, the strength from him, in a sense of total dependence from the Lord. That's Philadelphia. But here in Laodicea, I got everything. I'm rich as to doctrine. I have a great thing going. And I believe Christendom feels strongly that way today. They think they have a wonderful thing going. Think of all the missionary work that they are doing. Think of all these wonderful organized things in churches, you know, what they have all come up with that fits every age group. You know, they got everything for the older ones and for the middle-aged and for married and unmarried and for young people and children. You know, everything is provided for with us. They've got a greatly, wonderfully organized system there and it's very efficient and effective, they feel. And so, the language is that I'm rich and increased with good and have need of nothing. And here now we have what is so important in the whole prophetic word we get the Lord's explanation of things. We get his appraisal of things, and that's what we need, brethren. We need to look to him to give us the true appraisal of where we stand, where we are spiritually, what our state is, where do we find it? Get in the word. We find it in the book of Revelation, we find it in many other scriptures. It's like a mirror that shows unto us where we stand, what our state is, and not only that, where the Lord would have us to be. And where the path is, to go on to his glory, to be really fruitful to him, to be pleasing unto him in these days. And so Laodicea had all the remedy showed unto them. So the Lord says, even though they were saying, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, they had no sense of their needs or need of dependence from the Lord. But on the other hand, the Lord had counsel for them. Although they didn't know that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, the Lord said, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. So there are two riches held out. That which is found in Christ. Nothing in myself. Himself my righteousness, the divine righteousness. Himself being all that I need for my soul and ourselves being nothing. And I believe in the measure as we realize our own nothingness and that Christ is all. We get the blessing. And that was the path left even in the Laodicean days for the believers here. I counsel thee to buy of me gold. You know when we look at the previous verses, what do we find there? It says, I, I am rich, and so forth. So there, the I was prominent. With other words, 
really the sin state brings before us the uh, uh, character of things where uh, the church is occupied with itself with its efforts with its uh, with its uh, programs with all its achievements its, its accomplishments and so forth you know there's an occupation with self and I just enjoyed that little thought recently I think it was in the Christian Treasury magazine possibly too that uh, uh, when the church when the assembly begin, begins to be occupied with their own testimony with the testimony that they are and so forth then they really are on the path to a decline because they have lost sight of the fact that it's Christ alone we are nothing if we become occupied with ourselves as an assembly or even as a group gathered to the Lord's name or anything like that we have our eye off the run to be our only object it's Christ alone it's not us we are nothing he is all but our testimony should be that people should see that we find all our joy all our delight and our all sufficiency in that one all sufficient name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we own him in all things as Lord now Paul says nothing Paul says all servant as, as your servants for Jesus sake and so then here the Lord now directs them to himself to buy of me gold try and fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment speaking of the walk that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyesight beloved this is what we need we need spiritual discernment we need to see through things there are many things that are brought before us in these days some of them seem to be very appealing new ideas maybe new ways of doing things that seem to be very appealing maybe and reasonable but what you and I need is spiritual discernment to be able to discern what is according to the thoughts of God what is according to that which was from the beginning how can we go back to that which was from the beginning and maintain it in our testimony we need spiritual discernment we need spiritual discernment as to those many novel ideas that come up around us to see through them and to see to distinguish what is truly according to the mind of God according to the revealed will of God as we find in his precious inspired word anoint thine eyes with eyesight that thou mayest see the Lord is desirous to give unto us spiritual eyesight real discernment and then the verse that I quoted before already as many as are love out of Brooke and Jason you know we see amongst us today too much sickness we hear of accidents many troubles and trials in the lives of the saints and I believe it's part of that the Lord says as many as are love out of Brooke and Jason and it's not only those I think we have to say ourselves too it's not those that had to be chastened only that go through those things but it's maybe a voice to all of us maybe to others especially uh, maybe to an assembly by somebody in the assembly uh, being brought into afflictions ways something like that it might not be that person so much that is in view but it's the assembly that God is speaking to and that he wants to awaken us to the fact that we do need that gracious chastening of him to be rebuked and chastened but the purpose is to be led into those blessed paths that his love wants to lead us into be zealous there for he says and repent and then that wonderful verse there behold I stand at the dark what a picture here the Lord Jesus standing on the outside of the dark what a solemn thought for Christendom that professes his name but he's not there in the inside of the profession he's on the outside he has to take that outside place but just like we have in Hebrews to go out unto him without the camp outside of the camp so the call is here to find him we have to go outside of those things that are characterized by ruin and decline and we go and find him there his blessed person and then we don't have to be occupied with those things that are inside there perhaps in a certain way yes and sadness but we then find ourselves lifted so to say above and outside of all that sad ruin around us because we have the Lord there but here it's lovely to in a different way he then is coming in that's of course now the individual no longer the whole testimony the whole corporate testimony he's not going to come in there he cannot come in there but it's the individual my house and I believe that's a little encouragement to other Christian fathers and mothers especially the heads of the households you know that 
the Christian home now in our day, even in a day of ruin, is to be, so to say, a sanctuary, a stronghold, in which the truth can be maintained, and in which the Lord Jesus is to, to be given that place that belongs to him. And you know, we find here he delights to come in. He delights to come in into the lives of individuals, into the lives of entire families, and to pour out his rich blessing there with his own blessed presence. What a lovely picture here. We have a meal here. Meal speaks of especially of sharing things together. You know, when you sit together on the table of a meal, you share what comes from the loving hand of God together. If you eat in the corner by yourself, it's not the same thing, is it? But if you are together, there's communion, there's fellowship. What a beautiful picture then, John 12, you know, as the Lord was invited by, uh, by Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Marvelous picture communion of the saints with the Lord there. So that's the promise he has given unto us here. If any man, that's not individual, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. Oh, those lovely verses, I will. You know, there are our stubborn hearts. There's my stubborn heart and the hearts of each one of us. And often we say no to the Lord. May we say, I will not, like that son, you know, to whom the father said, go work in my vineyard. I will not. I don't want to. And so, and maybe some children have said that to their fathers and mothers. I don't feel like doing it now. I don't want to do it now. You know, but does the Lord say, I don't think you're such that I want to come into you. No, he says, I will. There's only one condition to open the door. To invite him in. For the heart to desire to have his presence. To have communion with him. And we find the Lord is ever willing ever willing, in spite of all the weakness of our state in which we find ourselves, he's not going to turn us back. He's coming in. And there's going to be a feast. I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. This is for now, for the present. But I wonderful to look onward to that coming day of glory where the Lord says to the overcomer, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sit down with my father in his throne. Beloved, wonderful thing to look forward to that day of glory where he will delight to see us associate with himself in that scene of glory and thought of thoughts. He will gird himself and serve us. He will minister to you and my joy even in that coming day. The Lord of glory, he will minister to us. He will never cease to minister to our hearts that which would fill us with joy and with peace and with eternal delight. May it be our, uh, our desire, in some few measure at least, to bring delight 